Good evening. We'll open up to First Samuel, or Second Samuel, excuse me, chapter thirteen. Second Samuel thirteen. Let's get into our continued talk about David, his life. Last week, as you remember, was the famous, infamous. Uh, fall with Bathsheba, the killing of her husband Uriah, the busting by Nathan the prophet of what happened, and the repentance of David, God taking the child that was given birth to at that time, and then David rising up and moving forward. Uh, Some great things that we talked about in that, Um, and things just go downhill really quick and in a real ugly way in chapter 13. And so this should be interesting. Chapter 13, verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now that's just confusing. Okay? Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the sister of Absalom, who was also the son of David. And so we see what's going on here. Amnon and Absalom have the same father, but they have different mothers. And Tamar is Amnon's stepsister. Amnon, verse 2, became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah. Jonadab was Amnon's cousin, by the way. David's brother, Jonadab, was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill. Jonadab said, when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. So David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here. Amnon said, so everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. 
don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And, and what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. We're going to stop there. Now, besides the obvious wickedness that is taking place here, are there any things that stand out to you in this passage that we read? Or perhaps questions that it arises? Well, here's one. In verse 2, first of all, when it says that she was still a virgin, it meant that she was still available to be married. And so Amnon was struggling because she was available to be married, but it was his sister, and she would not be married to him. And so that was the struggle, is here she is, she's ripe to be married, but she can't be my wife. But notice what it said after that, it says, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Something changed between it seeming impossible and all of a sudden it becoming possible. There was a point when it seemed impossible and it was off limits and you just don't go there. Even though he was desiring her and lusting after her, it seemed impossible and it seemed impossible until someone told him it's possible. Even though it was wicked, even though it was wrong, there was a seed planted in his thoughts that took root and gave birth to this wickedness. And I think this is, once again, uh, lesson for us to learn that this battlefield that takes place in our mind, that things can seem impossible until someone tells us or until we work out a way and say, you know what, this is possible. And how many times have I heard this or experienced this? You know, you, you think, oh, I can never do such a thing than you do. And then guess what? The next time it's easier to do that thing because you've just broken down that barrier and it becomes something that you're, well, I got away with it once. Maybe I can get away with it again. Lightning didn't strike me. No one found out. And all it takes is this little thought that can make what seemed impossible now a possibility. And it all happened with how he thought about the situation. And so it's interesting because it says in verse 2, he was so obsessed with his sister. Some translations say loved her, but obsessed is a more accurate word because really he was just lusting after her. Tamar is this beautiful woman. It's his stepsister. Can't have her as my wife. And then... His cousin says, you know what, I got an idea. And all of a sudden, everything became possible. 
Isn't that tragic that we could have this moral fiber that's strong enough to resist, even if it's not the best, it's there. This, it's off limits. Don't go there until that fiber gets torn. And then once it's torn, it's so easy for it to keep tearing. And so here's one of those places where we see that what was really in Amnon came to surface. It just needed opportunity. And that's always the case. You see, if Amnon was a person of actual integrity, then even when his cousin said, hey, I've got a plan, he says, no, I can't do that. Why? Because I know it's wrong. But once someone fed him the opportunity, he could go on and continue doing those things. And so that's exactly what we see happening here. And so... When he's confronted with his cousin, he says, why do you look so mourning, you know? And he says, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Many think that because they desire someone physically or sexually, that it's equated to love. And this happens a lot. People think, wow, man, she's beautiful. I'm in love with her. How can you, you don't know her. You are lusting after her and you think it's love. I was listening to a a person who was involved with, um, was involved with uh, Exodus International, which is a ministry that was taking place with the homosexual community, and they're no more. Um, And he was talking about how he was involved with a homosexual lifestyle, and he got married, and he admitted to some people that he still had desire for same-sex attraction. And there's a big to-do about that, because a lot of the Christian community said, well, then you're not really changed, blah, blah, blah. And he was just being honest. He's happily married, has kids, and he's doing fine. But the desire isn't love. The desire or attraction isn't the same thing as actually being in love. And we've so quickly joined these things together to say if we desire someone sexually that we're in love with them. And we don't understand the consequences. You know, you've got a, a young teenage girl who is involved sexually. And then we don't understand how when she's in her later teens or early 20s, how she's just emotionally a wreck and devastated. And how she has such struggles with trust as she's been involved with these relationships. Or you have a young, you know, man, 16 years old who's going around sleeping around and and he's involved sexually and we don't know why he's such a jerk and has such disregard for women when he's 26 years old. And we don't put the dots together. 
And it's like, oh, I love you. Okay, we sleep together. And then, well, I don't really care for you anymore. And it just goes on. And we don't recognize the difference between this attraction, this desire or obsession with something physically or sexually and love. And so it calls, it just shows the the error of these ways so many times. Now, this plan goes on and it's interesting because he goes to his father, David, and says, David, you know, get Tamar to come here. And we start to see that David really seems to be indulgent towards his kids. I mean, you know, if one of my kids said, make, you know, someone come over and cook me, I'd say, no, you know, that's not going to happen. But he indulged his sons. And we're going to see later that he also failed to discipline them. And so David here seems to be clueless. And do you guys remember what Nathan said to David? Remember that prophecy of what was going to happen to his household? This is happening. Okay, the prophecy, David, because of what you've done, you're going to see this happen in your own household. And this is the beginning of just that, what took place with David and Nathan just chapters ago. And so... David allows this to take place. He doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he tells Tamar to do this. And this scene is just tragic. When when Tamar is grabbed by Amnon and she says, no, my brother, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. There is a plea here for what is known to be right. There is a plea here for we don't do this. This isn't how we as Israelites act, but you're acting like this. And then she says, verse 13, what about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? Remember in the early chapter or in the early verse, it says because she was a virgin, that meant she was able to get married. If she is not a virgin, she becomes less desirable to get married especially at this time and in this culture. And so here she is going to be ruined for the rest of her life just because you want this, don't do this. And then she even says, ask David, maybe he'll let you marry me. That wouldn't be allowed, but she's buying time. Okay, all these things she's saying, she's trying to get him to stop. But he doesn't. You'd be like the wicked fools in Israel. And so he rapes her. Any thoughts, just as we kind of talked about that a little bit more, anything else stand out in your mind? Was anyone ever surprised when they read this in the scripture? Like, oh my gosh. The Bible's got some awful things in it. It's true. You know, this. yeah. Well, yeah, David was her dad. They had the same dad, but different moms. So half-sister. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Misunderstanding of terms. Yeah, it was his half-sister. So, um, thank you. Any other thoughts? 
Okay, because it gets worse. Verse 15, then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. Now, why would that be a greater wrong? What does she mean by that? Yeah, if he's not going to take responsibility for her, then she's going to be abandoned, basically, and left in a, a broken condition, again, not desirable for anyone else, and he's just getting rid of her, not taking the responsibility. Responsible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But he refused to listen to her. Verse 17, he called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Don't you just want to beat the out of this guy? I mean, you're just like, are you serious? What's that? It's just, you know, it's how could someone move from such obsession and calling it love to such disdain in such a short time. And it's, again, because of our misunderstanding of what love really is. He never loved her. He just wanted to use her. A lot of people get used and think it's love. And we need to understand that there is something that happens to our souls when we make love so cheap, when we take love and degrade it to such a place where this kind of thing can happen or we give in so easy, we, we, we destroy the potential of what love is supposed to be in our lives when we surrender to what it is less than doesn't mean we can't be restored, but there is a lot of damage that gets done within us. And so when God says, you know, it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage, it's not because he doesn't want us to have fun. It's because he doesn't want us to be destroyed. Because he wants us to have love. Genuine love and the benefits that go with that love. But when we make it so cheap, it, it can turn on us. And that's exactly what happened here to Amnon. And, and remember, it was his sister. And now it's just get this woman out of here. He just belittles her, shuts the door and bolts it. Which means she was probably demanding of him that he deal with this. And instead he just threw her out and shut the door and bolted it. And so now she is left in this condition. It's just horrific. Verse 18. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. It was a longer robe. It was a robe that said, I don't have to do work because I'm in a position of 
you know, honor. And so she had this. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her ornate robe that she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. And so where did this all happen? This happened under David's roof in his household. You know, it might have been different places in the household, but it was under his authority, so to speak. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. Excuse me. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Anything strike you about verse 20? He knew. He shut it up. Anything else? You think it's interesting that he knew it was Amnon? Because he knew something happened. That or he heard that she went to Amnon to feed him, right? But he goes, did Absalom, has he been with you? She was obviously distraught. And so he tells her to be quiet for now. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. But how can you not? Right. Don't, don't, he says, don't worry about it. We're going to keep this kind of in the family. And what a tragedy when things like this get covered and silenced. Instead of him actually being her voice and trying to make justice out of this, he just says, Shh, keep it down, keep it on the low, because we'll just, we'll deal with this. He's your brother. Don't take it to heart. Kind of strange. Verse 21, when King David heard all this, he was furious. And that's all it says. He did nothing. He was furious. You know, a man never hears his own voice till it comes back to him in the actions of his children. And when it comes back to him in that way, it speaks so loud that it's deafening. And then it becomes, how can I blast my son Amnon for raping my daughter when I took this man's wife and killed her husband, and now he is silenced by his guilt. He has no voice because he feels he has no place to stand or, or to assert himself because of what he's done. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt, I, 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 can't, I can't say anything because what about me? And sometimes that's just because you're so afraid of someone exposing your sin that you would just rather keep quiet. And that's what sin does, is it removes that confidence that we would normally have to take an action because I don't want to say anything because then what about me? Even though he had a right to say something. He had a right to do something. Because this was wrong. But for some reason, he didn't do it. And it was because 
of what he had done, most likely. It's because how can I bring this accusation and, and know this too. Now there's so much going on when you have, well, I've got this family or this wife and I've got this wife and these children and I've got these wives and these children and there's so much going on vying for position, vying for affection. He's got to be guilty having all these wives and all these kids because he's not really father to any of them probably. And so how can I blast him when I've never been a father to him? All these things start coming back. And it's all because of how David had lived. Now, it's so tragic because we just have taken this big turn in David's life. I mean, oh my gosh, he was the hero king. He was the one who brought the ark back into Israel. He was bringing in worship. It wasn't long ago that all this was taking place. And so quickly there's this turn because of these things that he's done. And these things that he's done are now coming back to haunt him. And it takes his voice away. It takes his power away. It takes his ability to make a change and his strength for righteousness away. And that's what happens to us when we give in. Our strength is taken away. Our our ability to speak into the lives of people is diminished. Because, oh, what I've done. Now, God can still use your voice, and God could have used David. God needed to use David. David needed to speak up here. Who cares about what you've done? This is too important to ignore. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. And we need to have this understanding so that we don't fall into this place. Because David was furious, but he did nothing. Verse 22, And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. And and you can understand that. That makes perfect sense. Verse 23, two years later, two years later, we're going to see this has never gone away. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Belhazar near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king, David, and said, your servant has been shearer, has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would be, we would only be a burden to you. It would cost too much to have us all there. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Why do you think David asked? Why do you want Amnon to go? Because there's not good blood there, right? Something's. Why do you want him? Because David knows. And so David's probably like, are you sure your intentions are good? But David apparently didn't think about it hard enough. Maybe he thought, oh, this is good. They're getting together, you know, everyone under the roof, going to have a family dinner. Yeah, this will be a good thing. And this whole time of sheep shearing is a festivity. Okay, they're they're getting all the wool from the sheep. That's going to be 
selling and then they'll get a bunch of money from it. Remember when uh, Nabal and Abigail, it was that same kind of thing when they were shearing the sheep. That's why David sent his men to go and get some money. Hey, this is the time when you got money. So it's the same kind of thing. This is supposed to be a festive occasion. And so David sends the okay, the blessing for all the sons to go there. In verse 28, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. Two years later, this has been stewing in his mind. Keep it quiet. No one's talking about it. No one's talking about it. But it isn't gone. It's still there. It hasn't been dealt with. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 1 that says, Don't let that which has been lame be put aside, but rather let it be healed. In other words, don't just ignore something that's wrong. Deal with it. Let it be healed. So many times we can want to, well, just don't talk about it. Just forget about it. Just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. But it did. And it had an effect. And if I ignore it, it doesn't take away the crippling effect of it. It doesn't stop me from being crippled by it. It doesn't stop my emotions from being hammered with the thoughts over and over and over again. It doesn't go away just because I don't talk about it. And for something to be healed, there has to be confession. There has to be restoration. There has to be that conversation that deals with these things. I just uh, written, actually responded to something a good friend of mine, another pastor, had written. He would wrote something and I responded to what he wrote because I, I disagreed with some of the things that he had said. And I gave my reasons of why I disagreed and I gave some personal examples of why I felt that some of the things that he said were wrong. And then I went off to a dog training lesson and I got a text and he said, can you please call me as soon as you can? I have some questions. And what happened is my examples that weren't about him were actually about other pastors he took to heart to be about him. And one of the things he wrote down, he goes, when have I ever been this way towards you or towards your family? And so I called him up and I said, I am so, so sorry. That was not meant for you. That was an example of why I don't believe what you're saying is true. Because if it were true, how could these things continue to happen? But I am so sorry that that happened. And we had a conversation over the phone and he said, are you good? I said, I'm good. Are you good? And he goes, yeah, I'm good. Thanks for clearing that up. Thanks for calling. 
You see, if there was not that conversation, if there was not that declaration, this isn't about this, this is making it clear, then there would have been, man, after all the things I've done for him, this is how he's going to treat me and talk to me this way. And he would have had this idea in his mind about what happened that was not at all true. And it took that conversation to come out. And the same thing is true when things are done wrong to us. And if they're sitting there and they're hurting you and they're hurting you, well, as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. Scripture tells us, so how do you make peace? What do you need to do to bring peace? And some people, all it needs to be is an I'm sorry. Some people, it needs to, I need to see change. Everyone's a little different, but there has to be working towards a betterment. Otherwise, it's going to stay there. It doesn't go away. It's going to remain, and it's going to fester. And two years later, Absalom kills Amnon. Didn't go away. Yeah, it was quiet, but it wasn't gone. And so, verse 30, while they were on their way, the report came to David Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground, and all his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom had fled. Now the man standing watch looked up and saw many people on the road west of him coming down the side of the hill. The watchman went and told the king, I see men in the direction of Horonaim on the side of the hill. Jonadab said to the king, See, the king's sons have come. It has happened just as your servant said. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in, wailing loudly, the king too, and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. That's where his mom was from. A few chapters back, David married this woman. I forget her name, so it starts with M. She was from Geshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Anything stand out to you in those closing verses? Who's talking to the king? The guy who started this whole thing. Or was part of it. Isn't that crazy? Like, oh, don't worry, king. You're the one who spurred Amnon to do this. And now you're trying to comfort the king? It's crazy, huh? How people can be so deceitful. It's amazing what we can do when we are given to just our natural desire without control 
if there are no boundaries in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives to say what is right and what is wrong and how we should or shouldn't respond, if there is no integrity of these things, it's amazing how deceitful and just wicked we could be. Those are choices that we have to make. Those are intentions that we have to have in our life that I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to do that thing. I am not going to give in to this baser self. You know, the Ten Commandments. You know, it's not like God is giving some lofty thing for us to keep. He's giving us these basic things. Don't kill one another. I mean, is that really too much to ask? Don't lie to each other. Don't steal each other's stuff. Don't steal your neighbor's wife or his goat. You see, the Ten Commandments aren't real lofty things that we have to keep. They are just the basics to keep us living civil lives. And we act as if, oh, God's giving all these laws to us. Oh, he's so demanding. Really? Does that seem too demanding? That's just the basic. But we have a way of crawling under it. And that's why God has given us the law to tell us this is where you need to live above. And so we know when we go below it that we are not who God has created us to be. We're not living the potential lives that God has given for us to live. We're, we're living less than who we were created to be. And so many of us are living less than what God has created us to be. So many people are giving in to things that are less than what God has for them. And this isn't like God's asking us to go to India and, you know, take Mother Teresa's place. God's just asking us to live lives of integrity. Lives of honesty. And that's just who he's designed us to be. And we see the devastation that happens. And it doesn't end here, but we are going to end here because I'm not going to get into chapter 14. You see, now because David never dealt with Amnon, Absalom took action. And now there is this schism between Absalom and David, even though David is wanting to, to go and reconcile with his son Absalom, there's already damage done, and that damage is festering. And now three years later, which is two years later, which is now five years after the event where Amnon raped his sister, we're going to see that it's still causing damage five years later. That's frightening. That's frightening. But the things I do will cause damage that long after. 
The good news is that this damage could have been minimized if they would have talked, if they would have dealt with it, if they would have done the right things. And so at any point, we can choose to do what is right. At any point along this stage, someone could have stood up and say, hey, let's talk about this. I need to apologize for not dealing with Amnon. We need to talk about what he did to my sister Tamar. I need to talk about what you did to my daughter. At any point, they could have brought this conversation out, but they didn't. And so I guess the encouragement to us is to bring the truth out that can produce healing and don't continue to live a crippled life when you have it within your means to correct it and to deal with it. No one likes dealing with the hard stuff. It's ugly. I don't want to talk about this because it makes me feel terrible because what I did was wrong and I know it was wrong and I'm sorry. I don't want to talk about it, but unless you talk about it, you're allowing it to remain crippled. And until you talk about it, until you confess it, until you repent and ask forgiveness, it just stays there. Acknowledging it, bringing it to light, helps it to get better, to heal the broken that is there. Any thoughts on this chapter? You know what's amazing is how many times that happens in households and isn't corrected. It's it's amazing. It really is. And part of it is the shame. The, the parents feel shame about their children in those ways. And yeah, they should be done. But it's amazing how many stories you hear where uh, one of the daughters has been molested by someone in the family, maybe not a brother, even an uncle or something, and no one talks about it because of the shame in the family. It's amazing. And this is David. This is, yeah, this is King David, the genealogy of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's like, we, we see that grace just is much bigger than we imagine. God's forgiveness is pretty extensive, which is good news for all of us, so that when we find ourselves in these dark places, that we don't have to be given into despair, that there is hope, there is restoration, there is healing that can take place even in these situations. Thank God. Thank God. Any other thoughts? this chapter. Nope, yeah, that's a tough one, huh? Let's pray. Father, these are some dark things that take place in this chapter, and there's some difficult things to talk about. Lord, but you have included them in the volume of your scripture so that we can learn so that we can see our hearts as well as see your heart, God. And so, God, I I pray that tonight things would jump off of these pages at us, 
things that maybe we need to do or things that we need to beware of. But may your spirit's voice be loud through these pages. May you speak volumes to give us wisdom on how to live a life in a broken world. And Lord, we acknowledge our own brokenness. Lord, this isn't here so that we can point at this family and say, look how dysfunctional it is. Lord, we all have dysfunction. There is no family that is without problems. And those problems vary to so many degrees. But Lord, your grace is here for this family and it's here for us as well. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the hope that is found in you always. And so I pray you would enrich our lives with the truths that we talked about tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.